let's leave it a little bit shorter. But we have had talks at the highest level. Trump referring to talks at the highest level with North Korea, which we have found out through the Washington Post, then confirmed by a Trump tweet did happen between the CIA director and the evil dictator of North Korea. It's the highest level meeting between us and North Korea since 2000 when Madeleine Albright, as Secretary of State, met with uh, the current idiot's dad. Yeah, Kim Jong-il. Right. Uh, all this in preparation for a planned summit, probably in June. Michael Oslin joins us. Michael is the William Griffiths Fellow in Contemporary Asia at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. His latest book is The End of the Asian Century, War, Stagnation, and the Risks of the World's Most Dynamic Region. Uh, Michael, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. May we call you, Michael? Is that all right? <laughs> of course. I hope so. Okay, good. Uh, you can call us Joe and Jack if you'd like. Thank you. Okay, excellent. <laughs> well, I'm looking at your credentials, and I'm thinking, hey, Michael, how are you? It's a little casual. You're a learned man. At any rate, uh, let's talk about North Korea. Were you surprised to hear that Pompeo had actually made contact with Kim Jong-un? Uh, a little, but, you know, look, if they're going to go down this road, I think they're doing it the right way, um, which is do these things behind the scenes, try to figure out how serious these guys are, uh, which, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to find out. They're going to find out, like every other president, that they're going to cheat and they're going to lie. But, you know, if you're going to do it, don't do it so that you make yourself look like this over-eager, um, sort of foolish, uh, uninformed party that just will do anything to get them to the table. So doing this with Pompeo, he's a serious guy. He's a, he's a you know, a, a hardcore negotiator. Um, you know, has military experience and, and, and congressional experience. I think that's the right way to do it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the, the real question is when the rubber hits the road, what do we really think we're going to get out of this meeting? And you can't get the president in a room with this guy if there's any questions as to what the outcome is going to be. Well, what would be the motivation for North Korea to, at this point, give up their nuclear weapons? That's just what I don't get. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any motivation to give up the nuclear weapons. Uh, it, this is, uh, from one from one perspective, look, we've seen this before. They they will say they're ready for talks and they're ready to seriously begin negotiating. And, you know, like Lucy with the football, we just go right back to it and say, okay, you know, this time you're really serious. Um, but from the other perspective, there is at least an argument to be made that the Trump administration is, you know, rattling the cages in a way that other administrations have not done. Um, the sanctions have been more serious. I don't think they're yet serious enough. I mean, it's sort of surprising to me there's still stuff to sanction. We should have been sanctioning everything, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago. But in any case, um, there, there is the question of how worried are these guys really? Do they really think Trump's different? Do they really think that if they don't at least pretend to play ball, you know, there could be some more pain coming in. And every time Trump launches an attack on Syria, for example, they're they're looking very carefully at that. So I think there's probably a bunch of different things going on. But they also may feel very confident, quite frankly. You know, look, they are at the doorstep now of having a nuclear capability and an ICBM capability. And they may feel that, you know what, this is now the time we can come to the Americans and get some good deal uh, where we get them off the, off the peninsula. We try to break their, uh, their alliance with South Korea, and we'll promise down the road to get rid of nuclear weapons. So there's a lot of moving pieces here, and, and the, the truth of it is we will never really know what they're thinking, even when we're at the table with them. 
Uh, let's uh, talk about pressure points for another minute. I've heard a couple of things posited. Number one, that China is sending the message, all right, that's enough. Uh, and secondly, that the uh, the Kim regime is actually running short of money and every dictator needs to be able to bribe his followers. Uh, do you buy the financial argument or the China argument? Uh, more the financial, less the China. I, I think that, um, from again, you're right. What we understand, the information we're able to get, they're running out of money. But they've always been able to find ways to get money. Uh, they have a lot of illicit activities around the world, drug running, counterfeit money, counterfeit drugs. Uh, and the like, and uh, you know whether they're they're really starving for money or not. Uh, again, it's it's it, undoubtedly there's been some greater effect from the current sanctions, uh, but they may just be at the point where they're they're thinking, look, we don't want to lose any more. As for China, um, it, again, it's it's an open question as to you know what Beijing is really saying to the North Koreans. Obviously, Kim went to uh, his first foreign trip went to China in March. And um, from every indication of that trip, you know, the Chinese still have enormous influence over North Korea. Um, On the other hand, from Beijing's perspective, they were getting a little nervous. You know, they were nervous that Kim would be meeting with uh, the South Korean President Moon. He might be meeting with the Japanese Prime Minister Abe, who's actually in the U.S. today meeting President Trump in Florida. And, of course, that he'd be meeting President Trump. So they were getting a little nervous that Kim was going to pull a hat trick of meeting the three adversarial leaders before he had even met Xi Jinping, the Chinese president. So I think it was, it was partly uh, China's you know, deep, uh, deeply held intention to get Kim to Beijing no matter what and, and probably to sweeten the pot somehow, because you know, this is a very savvy dictator. It's a very savvy regime, and we shouldn't forget that. So the real question I think we should be asking is, what did China promise Kim? What type of aid did they promise him? Avoiding sanctions or giving money or turning a blind eye to the cross-border trade? There's a lot there that, that we should be more aware of instead of thinking that, oh, yeah, you know, Beijing really wants to help. Because the truth is, they've never helped us on North Korea, and I don't think they're really willing to right now. Mike Lawson is an expert on Asia at the Hoover Institution, Stanford. My last question, and I guess we ask everybody this, is, uh, is he a rational actor, this leader of North Korea, and is there any reason to fear him if he has nuclear weapons? Well, I think we should definitely fear anyone who has nuclear weapons and is, is part of uh, an aggressive, rogue regime that often acts unpredictably. That said, I think he's a rational actor. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a brutal actor. It doesn't mean that he is not uh, someone who has, uh, you know, without any hesitation, eliminated family members and anyone around him who could be perceived as a threat or someone who hasn't uh, wholeheartedly pursued a nuclear program. But Uh, The reason we're still talking about North Korea and we're still trying to figure out how to deal with them is that it is a very rational regime. The regime wants to survive. Uh, It may or may not really still want to take over the peninsula. I think in in its ultimate, you know, its ultimate goals it does, but it has been very savvy, and that's why it didn't disappear decades ago. So you have to approach them when you're going to sit down at the table with them from that perspective. And I think Pompeo is someone who uh, is, is very serious, John Bolton, is very serious. These are not people who are going to be swayed uh, by, you know, happy talk and, and good words and saying all we want is a photo op. So from that perspective, I think we should give the administration some running room uh, and recognize that there are very serious, hardcore people there who are, I think, going to try to figure out the best way to approach this. So obviously your expectations are less than sunshiny, but do you think even... If uh, nothing of great uh, importance comes to this meeting, do you think it might be a positive step down the line of continued diplomacy? 
I think that it's a mistake to go into a meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un unless you know exactly what is going to come out of that meeting. You don't want any surprises. Uh, you don't want anything that that's not really a Trumpian way to approach it, though. He's going to want to hash out a deal. That's exactly right. And, and so I think the big danger uh, that we face is that Trump, you know, if, if I'm Kim, I'm going to dangle the grand bargain in front of him and say, look, we, too, can solve this right here at this table and get the Nobel Peace Prize and overturn 60 years of, you know, of, uh, of, of, of distrust and hatred and the like. And that's going to be a very tempting deal. The problem is, if we haven't thought through every twist and element of it and understand exactly how the North Koreans can take advantage of it, which they always do, we could wind up in a worse situation than before. So, yeah, there is a lot of risk to this. Um, on the other hand, if Trump has sufficiently rattled Kim Jong-un so that the guy thinks that, wow, you know, he, this one may be crazy enough to, to actually launch an attack, um, then, you know, then there should be some negotiating leverage for the administration. But in some ways, I think we're in, we're in new territory. We've never approached the idea of a summit between the president, uh, seriously approached it, between the, the president and the leader of North Korea. There's no real playbook for it. This is uh, all terra incognita. Well, wow. the, the old territory wasn't getting us anywhere other than closer to having whatever they wanted. Yeah, so we shall wait and see, and I hope we can stay in touch. Michael Oslin, Williams Griffiths, a research fellow in contemporary Asia at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. Michael, thanks a million. Great to talk to you. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Yeah, right, right. I was thinking a couple of thoughts were popping into my mind. Number one, the Trumpian bull in a china shop style of diplomacy has already paid some pretty significant dividends in various places around the world. Whether it continues or not, I don't know, because it's so weird and new and Trumpian. Um, the other thing that popped into my head is that, uh, and I remember this from you know study of not only dictators but mob bosses and all, the appearance of irrationality, occasionally is a rational strategy of course and um i think trump employs it and kim and employs it lil kim damn the two of them sitting down i die white goggled eye to <laughs> kim jong-un's eyes which i will not describe lest i be described as less than sensitive <laughs> beady can i say that about a dictator I hope so. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Got a text from somebody who was just into a Starbucks and saw a sign they hadn't seen before. So maybe Starbucks has already changed some policy. Dear black folks, chill, hang out. You're welcome. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my... Tonightly, Starbucks ends its controversial Race Together campaign. Yeah, that's because when people heard about it, they raced together to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Should corporations take on sensitive issues? Back off, Pillsbury Doughboy. I don't care about your narrow views on abortion. <laughs> You're looking to make progress, Starbucks? Okay, why don't you start by not selling CDs in 2015? <laughs> so grind those fair traits, froth up that soy milk, and let the awkward combo begin. This is the Nightly Show.
That's Larry Wilmore back in the day. Had forgotten that 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 weird period of time when <laughs> you were supposed to ask the baristas or the baristas. No, the asked baristas you or... were supposed to write race together on your Starbucks cup and bring up racial issues to you. An idea that, well, we decry. It took us a tenth of a second to realize how ludicrous that was, and ill-advised, inappropriate, and idiotic. And then the rest of the world caught on rather quickly, and they dropped it twenty-four hours later. Well, I roughly. like I like Howard Schultz. Is that his name? The thinking out of the box CEO of a Starbucks has written a number of books, and he tries different crap. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. No, I that's that. wrong. You should always do the same thing the same way it's always mm-hmm. been done. Well, that's what certainly what most people do. And uh, just the same thing always. And any new ideas, just, well, why would we do it any different? You know, I do appreciate you mentioning that. I mean, this one was terrible. That was a dumb idea, but he tries a lot of different things. Right. In this case, closing all of his stores for an afternoon to train his employees not to heave black folks out. If they hang around too long and don't buy anything. That is to get a tremendous amount of attention nationally, right? To to With one big, giant megaphone shout, We're not racist! We care about this! Isn't, yes. Isn't that the whole point of it? And to avoid bad headlines in the future, too. You know, the Philadelphia case, where there are a couple of uh, black fellas there, they're hanging out, they, they hadn't bought anything because they were waiting for their, their third friend to show up, apparently. One of them asked to use the John. She said it's for customers only. They got into it. And then they said, look, you got to leave. Now, the one thing the media is not reporting, and I don't know what happened. It could be the Starbucks manager is a clanswoman um, and is, is a virulent racist. I have no idea, but I know the media, and I know the way, the way they report these things. And nobody has mentioned whether these guys got immediately hostile and, and angry or whatever or explain themselves or anything. Nobody knows what happened. So the rush is toward, well, this is wildly inappropriate, and it was racism. And the guys actually ended up getting arrested because they refused to leave. And again, I have no idea whether they were completely in the right or completely in the wrong, and neither do you. But Starbucks has decided to make this giant show of contrition and uh, enlightenment and make sure the rest of their peeps aren't being uh, mean to the black folks. What would you do if a coffee shop told you you got to leave? Uh, leave and never come back. That's what I would do. Although I suppose if you thought it was a racial thing, you might want to make a stand. I yeah, I, and I would respect that if it was. Uh, again, I wasn't there. But just in general, and I nobody would think, well, has gone ahead and reported what was said or anything. But um, at least not that I'm aware of. We got this text. Just went in the Starbucks where they had a sign on computer paper on the cash register thingy. Must make purchases to get bathroom code. Problem solved. Um, I, I hate that though because you got to buy something before you use the bathroom, and uh, sometimes I got to go when I get there. And secondly, you have to buy your product, so then when you got to take, you got to decide: am I taking my coffee into the bathroom with me? Which is taking food and drink into the bathroom is a weird mm. thing. Well, if they got a clear runway, can't you get the receipt real quick, and then you know just run to the bathroom then and then back run in- back out just in time to hear. Uh, uh, Job? Job? Well, I just you get, mean Joe? I just get cups of coffee, so they just hand it to you. That doesn't, doesn't take very long. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Who wants to take their food and drink into the Starbucks bathroom? And if you leave it outside, who knows what's going to happen? If to you it. survive it, you'll have a great immune system. <laughs> That's the positive. <laughs> but, so anyway, when are they closing for the afternoon? Do we know that? I think it's in May. Okay. That's, that's so crazy. They're going to get a lot of publicity for this, though. 
Yeah, I don't know why you couldn't just have rotating classes and, and have, what their, are, have your people go to them. You know, we well, got one Saturday, okay, one Tuesday. Regardless yeah. of how you're going to do what are you going to say in your rotating class or in your afternoon where you've closed the place down and all the baristas take off their green robes and sit down and relax? Um, what Everybody are you going to say Relax your piercings and, and sit down. You're going to say, don't be a racist and send them back to work. Honest to God, what are you going to tell people? Don't, what are you going to tell them? D- well, I, I don't know. Don't <laughs> right. Don't do stuff to black people you wouldn't do to white people. And, and, and then if, if some barista says, and this is possible, and the, says the last four times we were robbed, it was young black men. I can't. I just I'm afraid. Sometimes if there's a couple guys and they're obviously not customers and they're just hanging around, I'm afraid they're going to ro- rob us. Then you fire that person for saying that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I just can't imagine what they're because. Well, we've been through a lot of this training. The point of training from a corporation is so that they can say they trained you, right? So that you can nobody can sue them. Yeah, they're indemnifying themselves against lawsuits. That's yeah, it. The company. So right. you could go after the individual for being racist, but you couldn't go after the company because the company can then say, "Well, we trained our employees. It's not our fault." My favorite That's the st- point of all this training. Sexual harassment, racist, right. all of it. It may be my favorite study of all time, the one that came out, I think it was last year, that said it's pretty clear that sexual harassment training not only doesn't reduce sexual harassment, it appears to, it appears to increase it. So, anyway. I remember that, and it made sense at the time. Why does sexual harassment training increase sexual harassment? I can't... Give you some ideas? It was partly because everybody is talking about things you can and can't say to each other and the rest of it, and jokes start. And the rest of it is it leaves people so confused that they no longer know what to do and so accidentally harass each other. Nice boobs. Yeah. Your boobs look nice today. (laughs) I think the worksheet said I could say that. I don't know. (laughs) So God, the ones we've gone to were unspeakably lame. Hilariously ridiculously lame so did everybody get an extra day for their taxes at the uh, whole country they, they moved it or just online filers doesn't matter i, I got it's gotta in. believe every i gotta believe it's everybody because you're you're the old uh, pay by computer thing didn't work yesterday the system crashed you know, an old uh, old man Koskinen, who's a lying piece of crap, in my opinion, the guy who used to run the IRS, but he was right about a couple of things. Number one, their computer system is is hilariously antiquated. And the second thing is, it's good politics to cut, cut the IRS's funding over and over again. And so Congress keeps doing it, even though, you know, and listen, as a low-tax, small-government libertarian... I understand that if you're going to have taxes, you've got to have an organization that collects them and ensures fairness and legality, the rest of it. And so they keep gutting the IRS, so now they're just floundering. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, I tell you, it's on. California Governor Brown blasting low-life politicians for the nation's immigration problems. And you got former FBI Director Comey's book tour continuing onward. They stopped by the Colbert Show last night. Awesome. Highlights coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. Did you know they're now aware that we even share brain waves with our best friends? What? Actually share brain waves. Wait a minute. Brains get linked up. That, among other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. (laughs) 
James Comey on the Today Show today as he's continuing to make the rounds. Man, he's really perfected that regal, above-it-all facial expression. Oh, yeah. I'm calm and collected. I'm just comfortable being me with me and my God as I look down on all you idiots. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, though you are idiots, I accept you as idiots in a kindly and godly way. But I'm not going to let you idiots off the hook. You need to vote this guy out. Come to me, idiots. I will pat you on the head and tell you what to do. He's really perfected that look and attitude. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Uh, California Governor Jerry Brown delivering a blunt message to Republicans that he is blaming for the nation's immigration problems. Brown telling reporters at the National Press Club. With all the other talk and noise about the border, the fact is America has 10 to 11 million people that are here. And they're human beings. They have families. Uh, It's very important that they be integrated in a humane, intelligent way. But instead, it's just an inflammatory football that very uh, low-life politicians like to exploit. All right, Jerry. He's right about that last part. Oh, yeah. There's absolutely some truth to what he says. On the other hand, the whole, they're human beings? Yeah, okay. You know, I thought we'd all uh, accepted that already, but thank you for making the point. They have families? So what about those who don't have families? What about some 19-year-old guy? Doesn't have a family. Can we boot him out? Or is family some sort of, uh, you know, magical uh, free pass or something, Jerry? What are you talking about? Or what do you suggest? Or when it comes to the putting troops on the border, how about stopping more people from coming in? Because the, the, you get to make your argument because those people are already right. in. There's no reason to let millions of more people come in illegally. But that is that argument has won. I mean, that's why there are driver's licenses for illegals. It's the idea, well, they're here. They're driving around. You might as well give them driver's licenses. Brown suggesting what we all do. I think it's time to just chill, uh, recognize the fact that they're here. There you go. That's his suggestion. Then get them registered to vote and have them vote Democrat every single time. Go ahead and say it out loud, Jerry. It's okay. I think everybody knows what you're working at. All this as Governor Brown and President Trump battle over California's sanctuary state policies, which are being challenged by a growing number of cities and counties in the state. Yesterday, San Diego County joined the growing list of those suing California over the state sanctuary law, limiting cooperation between local cops and ICE agents. Yeah, we're going to talk to some of the politicos who are leading that fight in San Diego County as soon as possible, but yeah, well done. I mean, it's untenable. It's a ridiculous situation. Nationally. Feds have a law. States have the other law. Counties have the opposite law. Individual towns opposite of that. Individual blocks in that town or zip codes will have a different law. But individual houses. And then in the living room, we got this law. But the bedroom, it's that law. Please. The sanctuary law is not popular in California. Nationally, it's not even close. No. Because it's obviously a stupid idea. Right. It's stupid and unworkable and hypocritical, but it makes you feel good. Makes you feel good to say it. I'm so enlightened. I'm so understanding. I'm not a racist. Don't anybody think I'm a racist? Look how enlightened I am. That's what it is. Come on. Former FBI Director James Comey is continuing his book tour on with Stephen Colbert last night. Colbert asking Comey about uh, President Trump's tweets. He has called you a slippery gem. <laughs> And he has called you a slime ball. Anything to say back? No, he's tweeted at me probably 50 times. I've been gone for a year. I'm like a breakup he can't get over. He wakes up in the morning. Wow. I'm out there living. I'm out there living my best life. He wakes up in the morning and tweets at me. So what's weird about this? I assume the crowd cheered like crazy when he walked out. 
So because he's saying mean things about Trump, the Hillary Clinton-loving crowd now cheers James Comey, even though he made a couple of decisions that kept your person from getting elected, quite right. possibly. Doesn't matter. Um, now he's being mean to Trump. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Silly. Trump tweeting this morning from his Mar-a-Lago resort, writing, Slippery James Comey, the worst FBI director in history, was not fired because of the phony Russia investigation, where, by the way, there was no collusion except by the Dems. End of that tweet. Just check, James Edgar Hoover was FBI director, right? That was his, wasn't that his title? Uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, I don't know I'm what sorry. the J stands yeah. for. Yeah. Maybe I just J stands for J. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was worse than Comey, right? I think. Well, yes, okay. definitely. Okay. Right. Well, definitely. Uh, no if, doubt about it. If you consider uh, domestic uh, surveillance, spying, shredding the Constitution, and racism, sins in your world, Sean, right. then yes, he was bad. I, I was young. I wasn't alive then. Just wanted to, to see if those who experienced it more close hand uh, thought yeah. that too. But yeah. Experts are he answering. He saw the K- FBI much closer to the KGB yes. than I think any citizen should be comfortable with. Experts answering the burning question, how often should you clean your phone? According to Time Magazine, if you're healthy, cleaning your phone about once a month should be good enough. I mine in the toilet about once a year. (laughs) Rinse it off. It would seem. (laughs) But if you're sick, you need to wipe it down daily. And they say the best way to clean your phone is with a soft microfiber cloth. Nah, steel wool. That's the best way. Get the grime off. I got a cold right now. I'm supposed to clean my phone? Daily. Okay. You can use the microfiber, or you can wipe the screen with a combination of 60% rubbing alcohol and 40% water. Damn, mine's 70-30. Ah, there Idiot. you go. Anyway, they're saying you use a paper towel or a cloth to lightly apply the mixture over the surface of the screen. I prefer sandblasting my phone. <laughs> and that's what experts say. Net your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Put it in your oven for at 450 for 40 minutes. That's the way you kill the beast. Can you tell when a cold hits? Yesterday during the show, I could feel the moment I got a cold. Sure. That, that I the had moment you become aware of it. It's yeah. a bad feeling. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Yeah. What are you going to do? That only lasts 10 days. What are you going to do? And none of the medicines do anything. So what are you going to do? Zinc. You got to zinc up, man. Zinc up, man. Yeah, yeah, come on. Get down with the zinc. Um, which direction do we want to go? We got uh, some Starbucks managers weighing in on that whole flat. Perhaps we'll hit those texts at 415-295-KFTC. Um, and if we wanted more hilarious mockery of their wokeness at Starbucks. Yeah, I know you're a gold card member, Jack, so this hurts a little bit. They're trying. What are you going to do? But the uh, way you share brainwaves with your best friend, this is science they just now know. Crazy. kind of interesting. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. you know about this but Heinz the Heinz company announced yesterday they have a new condiment supposedly by popular demand and that condiment can we get a drum roll okay that condiment is called mayo chup it is mayonnaise and ketchup I think it's meant to be injected intravenously I'm not sure 
But wow, think of all the hours we'll save thanks to Mayo Chub. I'll finally get time to spend with my children. It's hmm. Is there a demand for Mayo Chub? Heinz seems to think there is. My wife really likes the mayonnaise and ketchup on a on a hamburger. Which, once I tried mayonnaise on a hamburger, it's pretty good. But mm. it uh, doesn't treat me well, so I gave it up. Oh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> you know, I don't... <laughs> I don't think there's any downside to a giant conglomerate to mix them together in a bottle and test market them in a couple of markets, sure. but I don't... Just, just wonder if there's a demand. I'm not for, that busy. If, it, if I'm we, prepping a burger, I got time to slap a little mustard on there and a little ketchup. Yeah. If we had a mayo chup in the fridge, I don't think we'd get through it before it went bad. Are you a mustard guy at all? Uh, depends. Yeah. I've really gotten into the humble pickle. Oh, the lately. pickle. Fine kind. Relish on my hot dogs, pickles on my burgers. Really enjoying that. Nice. Nice move. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. I'm just thinking um, custard, you know, ketchup and mustard, ketchered, um, that would be a time saver. But I like the, uh, you know, like the uh, the sweet hot mustard. Got to have that. Yellow, Not the yellow Yellow stuff. Frenches. Ooh, don't like it. That's all I eat. Frenches, please. French mustard. Wouldn't dream of it. Good American mustard. So they've discovered this. If they take a look at, if they got a whole bunch of people in the room and they pick people that are very alike to start with and they have them watch videos and monitor their brain waves, they can pick out by looking at the brain waves which ones, which people are friends because they react to the videos the same way. Their brain waves match up. Mm. Which ones are best friends? They can tell by looking at your brain waves. Uh, I'm tempted to ask questions, but I don't want to be the annoying guy who immediately starts asking questions just as the presentation begins, when one can assume that the presenter will address those questions. Will this be on the test? That's always my question. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, research- that's why you got hit in the back of the head with spitballs. From the New York Times, researchers have long known that p- people are going to hate this, but it's just a fact, all right? Just accept mankind for what it is. Researchers have long known that people choose friends who are much like themselves in a wide array of characteristics. We tend to choose people to be our friends of similar age, race, religion, socioeconomic status, educational level, political leaning, pulchritude rating? Right. What's your pulchritude rating? (laughs) 4.3. Is that good? (laughs) Oh, it's outstanding. What's a pulchritude rating? And even hand grip strength. You tend to make friends with people with similar hand grip strength. A person who is very beautiful would be described as pulchritudinous. Well, then why so you're fighting at your weight. Well, why didn't they just go with attractiveness? Because it's the New York Times, and they wanted to make me look it up to show that I shouldn't read the New York Times? Yes. You're not smart enough for this newspaper. Exactly. Go read the USA Today, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Got some pie charts for you. So we tend to, and again, a lot of you think this is just awful, but this is the way we're built. Right. And as it says here, this impulse toward homifly, which another word I've never used. I guess this is us hanging out with people like ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, affection for those similar. We we tend to bond with people who are the least other possible. We bond with people who are closest to us as we can get. Because of racism, because white people are bad. And it's been found among traditional hunter-gatherer groups throughout time. Because hunter-gatherers are bad. And advanced capitalist societies, it's just the way people are designed. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. No excuse for hate. It's no excuse for discrimination. It's no excuse for denying anybody their constitutional rights. But it is. And any realist knows it. Let's not pretend that that's not true well right but new, new again the joe getty credo is a cry for realism <laughs> realism 
You hang around with other people who cry for realism. I would exactly. You should. It's cacophonous. You get a headache hanging out with us. We're kind of. I demand realism. I also demand realism. (laughs) (laughs) The new research suggests the roots of friendship extend even deeper than previously suspected. Scientists have found that the brains of close friends respond in similar ways as they view a series of short videos. The same ebbs and swells of attention and distraction, the same peaking of reward processing, boredom alerts at the same time. Wow! Isn't that something? That's crazy. Yeah. It makes sense, though. I mean, of course it's, it does. It, it's amazing to hear it confirmed by science, but, you know, you think about it, well, yeah. Yeah, you and a buddy are doing something. He's hating every minute of it, but you're loving it. That, that doesn't happen. Nope. No, it does not. Except, you know, something that you tried once and you never do again. Researchers could predict the strength of two people's social bond based on their brain scans alone. I was struck by the exceptional magnitude of similarity among friends, said the cognitive scientist. Who is as pulchritudinous as can be. Oh, just, oh, yeah. Please, off the charts. Uh, So, that's pretty damned interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Birds of a feather flock together. It's an ancient saying. Yeah, how old is that? And there's probably an, an older yeah. Egyptian saying that is the same thing. Yeah. Um, I had one more thing on this. Let me hear with this paragraph. Uh, our results suggest that friends might be similar in how they pay attention to and process the world around them. That shared processing could make people click more easily and have the sort of seamless social interaction that can feel so rewarding. And it's why people who have, well, one of the many reasons probably, why people who have friendships or have these, you know, connections with people are just so much happier than people who don't. I bet someday science is going to understand those immediate uh, connections or recognitions that we have. Subconscious, I'm sure, that the moment you meet and like in the first 20 seconds of conversation, you recognize someone like you. You know, in the non-obvious ways. Right, right. She said wool, and I said wool, and we just, we've been besties ever since, Michael. Nice, well played. (laughs) I mean, there's the obvious appearance thing, although even that probably has um, subconscious biological cues and pheromones involved. You're from the other tribe. Right, exactly. You're on the alert. I mean, but, uh, you know, how's it going? Uh, Good, good, good to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the first words you exchange probably have, you know, maybe, maybe. Two or three, maybe a dozen, maybe a hundred subconscious messages that are exchanged. Sure, and it's all anthropological. And it's the just, key either opens the lock or it doesn't. It's immediate recognition that you and I could bond together to fight off the enema if we had to. The enema? Who's <laughs> giving me an enema? Help me! Help me! En- en- I'll help you resist that enema. Enemy. Right. Oh, enemy. We're not, we're not fighting off enemas. Well, right. Can we? I would if anybody ever approaches you. You with know, one some of those days I would, tubes. some days not so much. Um... Yeah, immediately likely to be an ally, likely to be an adversary. Yeah, that's a million-year-old instinct. Uh-huh. And of course it isn't. You know, listen, and again, this isn't to suggest that human beings shouldn't attempt to rise above some of our animal instincts and try to be a bit more evolved than we are. But there are some of you who would like to believe that the entirety of human experience is, you know, what your college professor taught you as opposed to our natural impulses and needs. So if a bunch of people are moving into your country, whether it's the United States, Germany, or or wherever in the world, that don't look or act anything like you... Don't believe what you you believe. Your biological impulse is to not be tight with them. 
and to feel threatened. Sure. You know, okay, now here is where my cry, give me realism, the rubber meets the road. I hear my progressive friends right now saying, that's why. Wow, you don't we have, need. I don't know if you have many friends if you say this is the way they talk. Well, this is the way they talk usually because they're very sensitive. You just admitted that, like German people who are being flooded with hundreds of thousands of, of Arab people, that they're afraid. It's fear. It's xenophobia that drives them. Well, wait a minute now. We agreed it's a million-year-old anthropological adaptation. So why would there be fear? Because there is a threat. Millions of years. We've been designed to perceive that strangeness as a threat. Because it's a threat. It's not necessarily a threat. We need to work out in the modern world what we do with our laws, regulations, and and traditions to deal with that threat. Is it a big threat? Is it a small threat? I agree. There are nuances to this that we need to talk about. But to pretend that it's not a real or or, uh, respectable concern is just fantasy land. Somebody texted, this is why diversity by force doesn't work at all for forming a cohesive group. Right. Could be. Absolutely. That's undeniable. Text line is 415-295-KFTC. More Comey on Colbert last night. More lots of stuff coming up. (sighs) Taking on the problems of the world and solving them one one at a time. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.